to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now here's lead pastor, Chris Starr. I want to preach this morning a message I've entitled, Stop Doubting and Believe. Stop Doubting and Believe. And as you're turning and getting ready, let me just say you look great today. My, this is wonderful just to see all of you who are here. And if you're visiting with us, welcome. It's so good to have you. And uh, if you've been out for a long time and this is your first Sunday back, welcome back. And uh, we're so glad to have you and glad to have you back. And I'm just looking forward to that time when everybody can feel like they could come back into church. And I got my shot a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, I think Tuesday, I'm supposed to get shot number two. And uh, I'll be glad when COVID is gone. How about y'all? I said this in the first service. I do not mean to be crude at all. I really mean this with all my heart. I told somebody, I said, I'll be glad COVID can just go on to hell. Go down there with the devil and the angels and burn up. And I don't mean that to be flippant. I really mean it. I want COVID to go away. I don't know. It may have been from hell. It can go back to hell. And I have prayed many times, God, please wipe out this plague. And, and I thank God for the vaccines. You know, God can work in any way he wants to. But it's time to get back into church. And I, that's the thing. I know we found out, if anything, this last year, we need the church. And I thank God for online and all the people who are watching right now. But it's, there's nothing like being in church. And so it's just good to see you all here today and all of our guests, all of our visitors, people coming from all over. I was, I just kind of roamed a little bit. I like to do this sometimes. I went through the children's apartment and met a new family and met a, met an old, a guy from Pennsylvania, an old Pennsylvania like me. That, that They moved here and they've been coming to church now for a few weeks and uh, we got them coming from everywhere. And that's kind of what I pray. I say, Lord, bring them in from the north, south, east, and west. Just keep out the wolves and sheep's clothing and the black sheep. Send them to another church. Well, that's not very good prayer, is it? Shouldn't pray that. I don't pray that. John chapter 20. I want to begin in verse 24. Now, Thomas, now this is, a, this is about the resurrection, but it's actually about the post-resurrection. So we showed a video that kind of talked about the resurrection, but now let me just talk about what happened after the resurrection. Now, Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. And so he said to them, well, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. And Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. And then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thank you for reverence the word. You can be seated this morning. So you tell your kids, go clean up the garage and They've never been very good at cleaning up the garage, but you say, go get the garage cleaned up. We've got family coming over today. It's Easter. And then the kids come in after a little while, and they say, well, we got the garage clean like you told us to. Have you ever looked at them and said, hmm, I'll believe it when I see it? 
I'll believe it when I see it. If you do that, the, the, the fact is you want to go out there and with your own eyes see if the job has gotten done. What you're looking for is called empirical evidence. In the arena of science or the field of science, there is something called empirical evidence. It is, it is derived from what we directly observe or what we get from our five senses, seeing it, hearing it for ourselves. In other words, you establish what you believe to be true or valid through your personal experience. Today's Easter, and we're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus, and and, and I know as a student of the Bible that the biblical record describes how empirical evidence was utilized time and again to validate the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you give me just a few minutes, let me explain. Let's talk about the death of Jesus. The apostle John was there and watched him die. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there, watched him die. The women who followed him and supported him in his ministry were there. They watched him breathe his last. Roman soldiers who were by no means believers in Jesus Christ were there and and watched him die. They thrust a spear into his side to make sure that he was dead. And they saw where blood and water flowed out, which is a sure medical sign that his heart had stopped beating. And the water that is in the blood and the plasma had separated because the heart had been sitting still, still. So it was a sure medical sign that he was actually deceased. In other words, there is plenty of empirical evidence that Jesus died. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus handled his corpse when they took it off the cross. They wrapped it in spices in a burial shroud. They placed it in that borrowed tomb, that cave-like tomb. They smelled the stench of sweat and dried blood and dirt on his body. His blood stained their fingers and their hands. Again, empirical evidence. Switch now to the tomb, what we would call the empty tomb. The certain women who came to the tomb who were there three days before and watched Joseph and Nicodemus place the body there. They were there. They watched it, saw the big heavy stone rolled over the door, that two-ton stone. They, they came saying, how are we going to roll back the stone? And they came and saw that the stone was rolled back. And they looked in and they saw that the tomb was empty with their own eyes. Suddenly an angel appears. And they see the angel, and they hear the angel, and they hear the angel say those wonderful words, he is not here, he is risen. And, and there, again, empirical evidence. Peter and John, his disciples, ran to the tomb, walked into the tomb, saw the slab where Jesus' body would have lain, and saw the burial shroud still there, intact, like Jesus' body dematerialized and just came right through it, but left the shroud on the table. Isn't that something? I always like to say Jesus had good manners because they would put a facial handkerchief on, on the face of the deceased. And it's interesting, the Bible notes that the facial handkerchief had been neatly folded and placed in a different location. And John sees that. I think the Lord did that just to baffle us and show us that something special happened on that day. Peter and John are seeing this with their own eyes. Again, the Roman guards felt the earthquake caused by the angels, watched the angels roll back the stone from the tomb. They shook with fear. They lost their strength, even lost their consciousness, laying there like dead men. Again, all of this empirical evidence is with witnesses seeing what's taking place. Finally, let's go to the resurrection. Mary Magdalene, on that first Easter Sunday morning, encountered him, saw him. At first, she thought he was 
just the gardener, but she, Jesus said her name. She heard him say her name, and she looked and, and wiped the tears from her eyes and saw that it was Jesus. She held him by his feet as she's on her knees worshiping him, and he had to tell her, you got to let me go, Mary. I'm not done yet. I got some things I've got to do. Uh, Peter had an encounter with him. We don't have any details about it, but Peter saw him and, and witnessed him and heard him speak. There's an interesting story in the Bible where two men were walking on the road to a city called Emmaus, and Jesus appears with them and joins them. And for whatever reason, the Lord supernaturally affected their minds so that they could not recognize him. I thought that was interesting. And so as they're walking along, they're telling him about it, and Jesus just opens up the scriptures and explains to them everything. And they, he's going to go on. And they say, why don't you eat with us? So he goes and sits at the table and, they, and, he, and he blesses the food as you should do. And, he, and when he does, he does, he breaks the bread. And what happens, their eyes are open and they can see him and boof, he disappears. Now, I know that may seem crazy, but when you're God, you can appear and disappear anytime you want to. And so he does, poof, he disappears before their eyes. And they went back and they told the disciples and they said, didn't our hearts burn within us? We saw him, we experienced him. And it's an interesting story because at that moment, while they are in the room where the disciples are, they've locked the door, they're terrified, they think the same Jews, Jewish leaders that put Jesus on the cross are now gonna come looking for them and crucify them. They're in that room, they're sad, they're sullen, they're terrified. These guys knock on the door, they come in. Now the 10 apostles are there, Judas is dead, Thomas is not there. They're standing there telling them what happened to them while they were on the road to Emmaus and at that moment, poof, Jesus appears. Now, that could scare you. Surely somebody in that room jumped. I walked my neighborhood to pray. I was walking this morning, got up early in that cold. I was walking before church praying. There's an there's a, there's a elderly man who always walks his dog, and he has a great personality, and he's a very funny guy, and we all, he always talks to me and makes some kind of a joke. And as I was walking today, he had his back turned to me with the dog, and, and I'm walking by, and I'm just so used to this guy talking to me. And as I'm going, I said, well, I better say something. I said, good morning. And when I did, he jumped. I, he said, oh, he said, don't scare me like that. I thought, Lord, have mercy on the day of resurrection. I almost killed that man. And I kind of was thinking, I bet that's how the disciples did, is they were, especially the ones that had their back turned and the Lord showed up. Poof, there he is. Locked doors didn't stop Jesus. And Jesus says uh, three specific things to them, and we'll get to that in just a minute. Here's my, oh, well, let me just say this. So they heard him say, peace be with you, and he showed them his pierced hands and his lacerated side. This is interesting. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Ghost. And you know they felt his breath and they smelled his breath. My point is this, through their five senses and through personal interaction with the Lord, all of these people obtained subjective proof that Jesus died and was buried and rose again. Which brings me to my text, because there is one disciple that was noticeably absent when Jesus appeared to the disciples, and it's Thomas. Now, when I started studying this week for this message, and I've been preaching Easter messages for over 20 years, when I, when I started preparing, I thought, I want to I go study Thomas, all right? We always know James and John and Peter and I thought, I want to go study Thomas. So I went and I studied the life of Thomas, found out some interesting things about it. I think Thomas was excuse me, a natural skeptic. You know anybody like that? The glass is always half empty. I think he was a pessimist. Uh, I think he may have been intellectual. Now, that doesn't mean if you're an intellectual, you're a pessimist. Please don't think I'm tying those two together. But with Thomas, I think it was the case. 
I think he was a man of reason. Uh, it is definitely true that he was someone, even though he was a disciple of Jesus, which is kind of funny, I think at times he struggled with spiritual truths. And maybe you can identify with Jesus today. I mean, Thomas today. Maybe, maybe you can identify with him. Because when the Lord showed up, or when the Lord showed up and showed himself to the disciples and then left, and Thomas shows up, you have to kind of get to mind what's happening. They, he knocks on the door. They open the door, and they're all in there jabbering, laughing. The whole attitude, the room has changed. The atmosphere's changed. Sullen, crying, scared to death. Now they're all laughing, slapping each other in the back, talking 90 miles. Thomas said, what in the world's happening? What's going on? They said, Thomas, he's alive. We've seen him. Who? Jesus. He's alive. He was here. And instead of getting excited and joining with him, Thomas looked at him and says, now Thomas was from South Galilee. Y'all crazy. All y'all are crazy. Because if you don't know the plural of y'all, it's all y'all. Y'all have lost your minds. No, we haven't. He was here. I mean, all 10 of them are trying to tell him he was here. They're all talking. They're, they're, trying, they're talking over top of each other. Thomas is backing up and says, stop, stop. Y'all had a hallucination. Y'all taking drugs, what y'all been drinking? He's dead. I saw him go. I saw him die on the cross. We know where the tomb is. He's not alive. Yes, he is. No, he's not. Yes, he is. I'll tell you what, big boys. Unless I put my hand in the nail prints of his hand, I saw them nail him to a cross in his feet. They, they thrust a spear into his side, guys. You don't survive that. Tell you what, if he's alive, I want to put my hand right up in his side. I got to touch him. See, you know what he wanted? He wanted empirical evidence. He wanted his own empirical evidence. He said, otherwise, I will not believe you. Now, maybe you can identify with that. Perhaps you're a natural skeptic. Maybe you question the Bible and its stories. Maybe you're intellectual and you lean on rationale and reason to validate truth. Maybe you're here today and you're cynical about the resurrection of Jesus. This message is for you. I can only imagine what that week was like. Every time Thomas is around the disciples, they start talking about it. And he's like, just stop. Thomas, why aren't you going to... Stop. I don't want to hear it anymore. Talk about something else. I can see him getting up and leaving the room in frustration all week long. Well... A week goes by, eight days later, they're all in the room together again, and this time Thomas is there. I want to stop right here and say this is one of those moments when preachers would love to say, when you miss church, you're going to miss Jesus. This is one of those moments when the preachers could go off about how it's important to be in church and don't miss church, because if you miss church, you're going to miss something special. So make sure you're in church. Isn't that cool how I just worked that in right So this time, Thomas made it to church. And he's sitting there, and boom, Jesus appears. And he says three things. So now I want to talk about that. He says three things to them. He said, peace to you. Peace to you. Now, I say a lot of things to people, but I don't walk up to somebody that I've just seen and go, hello, peace to you. <laughs> 
As a matter of fact, somebody did that to me, I might go. Peace to you too. <laughs> I mean, well, how would you respond to that? So that's not something, that's a cultural thing. But if you know anybody Jewish, or if you've ever watched a movie, I've seen it on movies, it's, it's a word, shalom. You ever heard that? So that's what Jesus said to them. He, when he, showed, he did what, it was a salutation, shalom. <laughs> but I thought, it's the preacher in me, see? If I said shalom to you, that's one thing. When Jesus says peace to you, it's an entirely different thing. Because he is the prince of peace who can give you true peace that you cannot even comprehend. When you get saved, when you give your life to God, you have this incredible peace that comes over you that it is, it is awesome. It'll let you sleep like a baby at night. Because when you have peace with God, then you'll know the peace of God. So the first thing he said is he peaced it. Then he, that's to everybody, all y'all. Then he goes over straight to Thomas. And can you imagine Thomas? So the other disciples, they're cool with this because they've already had an encounter with him. So the initial shock is worn off. Thomas is sitting there doing the old, you know, the jaw. Close your mouth, you attracting flies. You ever do that? Close your mouth, Thomas. And, and Jesus walks, I like to get in the story. Don't you like to get in the story? And they're all laughing at Jesus. And they're like, Jesus is here. And Thomas is Jesus walks straight up to him and says, now, can I preach it the way I want to preach it? I'm going to preach it the way I got to say, big boy. There it is. Pulled his robe up. See him? Pulls his robe up. There it is. Go ahead. Touch it. Put your hand in there. You want to touch it? Go ahead. Here's the empirical evidence that you've been wanting. I gave it to everybody else, but you missed church. He didn't say that. I just threw that in there. <laughs> you weren't here, but I'm here now. Touch it. And then the third thing he said, by the way, I want to say this. I put things in my notes because sometimes I don't want to forget. I, I just think that that was an amazing act of grace on Jesus' part, don't you? Like, he didn't have to do that. But isn't it amazing, and this is probably the crux of my message, so I want you to get that because I'm going to bring you in just a second to the whole reason why I'm preaching today. Isn't that an amazing act of his grace? And then the third thing he said was him to him, and the, King, the New King James says, do not be unbelieving, but believe. And but believing. And one translation, I like it, and that's why I use it for my title. In essence, he said to him, Thomas, stop doubting and believe so if you're skeptical of jesus his resurrection his claims to be a savior his his words for you today are that stop doubting and believe because here's what i know and this is what i want to preach if i can get one point across today this is what i want to get across to you god wants to deal with your doubt god will deal with your doubt and he will give you faith to trust him as your Savior and as your Lord. In a wonderful act of grace, God will do that for you. I want you to notice something. So let me preach, teach to you something. Get this. Jesus dealt with Thomas's doubt through empirical evidence, but he dealt with his faith through a spiritual encounter. Think about that for just a minute. 
to alleviate the doubts, he gave him the empirical evidence. But to give him faith and to deal with his greater needs, he said, you and I need to talk. We need to, we need to get together here and have a conversation. You need, we need to interact. See, Jesus could have showed up 100 yards away outside one day while Thomas was walking the street. Jesus could have showed up 100 yards away and said, hey, Thomas. Thomas would have stopped. I'm alive, big boy. And Thomas from 100 yards away could have seen him and heard him. Look, Thomas, there they are. See it? And then poof, disappeared. And that would have taken away the doubt. Right? But do you notice Jesus doesn't work long distance? He gets right up in your stuff. Right up, saddles right up next to you. Sometimes he does it on Easter Sunday morning. Sometimes he does it while you're driving in your car. Sometimes he does it while you're sitting in a deer stand. Sometimes he does it while you're pushing a cart or as we say down south, a buggy. All the northerners come in here, they say, you, what, what is that? That's a buggy. No, that's a shopping cart. Yes, yeah, what we said. <laughs> and God, Jesus, all of a sudden, will show up and start dealing with you. See, it's not enough to have a long-distance intellectual, long-distance rational reasoning, think it through. At some point, you got to get right up close to person and personal with him. He's going to get right up close to you and say, let's talk about you and what you really need. Thomas saw and heard the Lord, and he was immediately convinced that Jesus was alive, but his faith in Jesus came from that personal encounter with him, and Jesus spoke to Thomas's issues and challenged him to believe. Listen to me. He met Thomas at his point of need. And Thomas never touched his wounds as far as we know. In shock and awe and wonder and delight, he just stared at him and said, my Lord and my God. And don't miss that. That was personal. He was saying to him, you are my Lord and you are my God. It's one thing to get rid of the doubts and say, okay, I believe Jesus is real. There's some validation to these arguments. I believe that there is some. I think well, we, may, we might need to give them some credence. We may be able to look at this. And after, there may be plausibility with this after all. I'm not quite convinced quite yet. But yes, seems to be the weight of the edit. It seems to fall greatly on the fact that Jesus did die and raise from the dead. He seems to be, after all, after all, all definite conclusions, that he must be the son of God. Listen, you do that all day long, okay? But all that is is right up here. But my Uncle Bobby used to preach a message called Missing Heaven by 18 inches because from the top of your head to the bottom of your heart's 18 inches. And at some point, it's got to go from here into here. That's when you have that personal encounter with Jesus. And, his pers and, and he said, you are my Lord and my God. And he made it personal. And, when, and a personal encounter with Jesus opened the door to a personal connection with Jesus. And that's what the preacher, hey, preacher, Y'all, that's what they call us down south. Preacher. This is my preacher. I think, well, I pastor and do a lot of other things too, but yeah, I preach. Preacher. Yeah, that's what we preachers love to preach. This is what we love to preach is that you can have a personal connection with him, a relationship with him. You can have an encounter with him that will change your life.
Now, Jesus' death and resurrection occurred over 2,000 years ago, so everybody in this room, very intelligent people, you and I know that we cannot prove their validity through empirical evidence. He's gone. So I cannot see him. I cannot hear him. I cannot touch the nail prints in his hand like Thomas. I cannot feel his touch. He can't come in the room and put his hand on my shoulder. But I don't need empirical evidence. I have the sure witness of those who did receive empirical evidence, and I can trust their testimony. I think it's great that Pastor Billy, first, Pastor Billy the first song he sang, well, this is my testimony. And I believe the Bible, and I don't have time to sit here and tell you how the Bible is true. And people say, I don't trust the Bible. Well, you can trust the Bible. You can trust the, 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 the document and manuscript evidence for the Bible far surpasses any works of antiquity, including Shakespeare and Homer's Iliad, which they make you read in school, but they won't make you read the Bible. Trust me, there, there's more documentation for the Bible, and, and there's nothing in the Bible that you can doubt. The Bible is true. Isn't it great that there are four Gospels, four distinct witnesses to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Isn't that interesting? And they all say things differently. They don't say it all the same. If you went into a courtroom and four witnesses got up and said everything the same, the same testimony verbatim, word for word, everybody in that room would say, this thing's fixed. But if four guys got up, or ladies, and they gave their testimony, and it's basically the same with variations and small details, then everybody with the room would say, oh, then that's true. That's four true witnesses. And that's what the Gospels do. They tell us the story of Jesus in four different ways, but they all say the same thing. He came as a son of God. He lived a sinless life. He died on a cross, and three days later, he came out, and the tomb's empty, and he went back to heaven, and he lives to save. That's all I need, because I can trust them. But I have more than that. Like Thomas, I have had an impersonal counter, encounter with Jesus through his spirit. I remember the day when, I, when, I, when he made himself known to me, when he convicted me of my sins, and I started crying, and he drew me with cords of love, and I went to an altar, and I started talking to him, even though I couldn't see him, and I started talking to him because he was real, and he was working on me, and I said, I'm a sinner, and I'm so aware of my sins. Please forgive me, and please come into my heart and be my Savior and change my life, and he did it. That's the miracle is when I asked him forgive me, to forgive me, he did it. So how do you know you were forgiven? Because something happened inside of me that never happened before. Something changed. The guilt left. The fear left. The, the, the embarrassment left. I got peace, unbelievable peace. Joy came inside. I felt the love of God. I mean, it changed me. I started acting different. Nobody said. I didn't have to read a self-help book. It wasn't self-reformation. It was transformation from a living Jesus. I encountered him for myself, and he made a difference in my life. When I was growing up, we used to sing a song that a lot of you who are younger, you probably never heard. But I started thinking about this song, and I said, Pastor Billy, get on the keyboard in the middle of my sermon. We sing, there are some things. Well, I may not know. There are some places I cannot go. Oh, but there's one thing I surely know. Oh, yes, my God is real, for I can feel Him in my soul. I know my God is real. He's real in my soul. Oh, 
my God is real, for he has washed and made me whole. His love for me, it's like purest gold, oh yeah. My God is real, for I can feel him in my soul. Then we sing this, well, I cannot tell. Just how you felt when Jesus took, washed all your sins away. Oh, but ever since that day, ever since that hour, I know my God is real, for I can feel His saving power. I know my God is real. He's real in my soul. My God is real, for He has washed and made me whole. His love for me is like purest gold. I know my God is real, for I can feel Him in me. Can I sing it one more time? Well, I know that my God is real. He's real in my soul. My God is real, for He has washed and made me whole. His love for me is like purest gold. I know my God is real, for I can feel Him in my soul. Yeah. Now see, that's an older song. We used to sing it a lot. Some of you never heard it, really don't care. The point is, what I'm here to tell you today is, I may not see him, I may not hear him, I may not be able to reach out and touch him, but I know he's real, because I can feel him right here in my soul. I read a story one time about an old boy, he was a country boy who ran into an atheist who was something of a philosophical fella. And that man found out that that atheist, uh, that old country boy was saved and born again. And he believed in Jesus. And that old atheist, philosophical, intelligent man, he lit into that old boy. He started using 10 and $12 words trying to tell him why what he believed wasn't true and Jesus wasn't real and the gospels weren't true and the Bible was a myth. I mean, he just spent, I don't know how long, up one side and down the other. And that old boy just stood there and took it. And when that man finished and he thought he had really done something, that old boy looked at him and said, Sir, there's no doubt you're a whole lot smarter than I am. You've been big, using big old words. He said, I don't even have half an idea what they mean. But let me tell you something. I know how mean I was. I know how bad I was. I know how low I was. And when I got saved and came to Jesus, he washed my sins away, changed my life. Everything's different. My wife says I'm not the same man. My kids say I'm not the same man. So, sir, with all due respect, I was there when it happened, and I guess I ought to know. And I'm telling you, he's real, and he did something in my life. I read this week the testimony of a man who, when he got to college, suddenly decided that he didn't believe in Jesus and he didn't believe in the death of Jesus anymore. He said, I don't have objective proof, so I will not believe in Jesus. 
But because he was in college and he had professors teaching him to learn and to investigate, he decided he would read the Bible and read some books and investigate whether or not it was true. And what happened is he became more baffled than ever before. This is what he said. He said, I asked myself, is the resurrection a mystical, existential, subjective experience, or is it a historical, objective event? And he just kept bantering back and forth, and he kept digging. But something happened, and something changed his mind. First of all, he started examining the lives of the people who were transformed by the saving power of Jesus, and he had absolutely no explanation for that. How did, how did Peter and Andrew and James and John become these transformed people? They were ignorant and unlearned men, but they went out preaching the gospel, turned the world upside down, and every one of them gave their life for Jesus Christ. Then he looked at the people around him that were that were contemporary, that he knew were authentic Christians, and he said, I don't understand this. How are alcoholics and drug addicts and mean people getting straightened up and cleaned up and becoming nice people? I don't understand why they've got joy and peace and purpose and life. And then he looked at the church, and he started looking at churches where there were real believers, and he said, I don't understand this. This is what he said. If Jesus isn't real, what unifies all these people from the various socioeconomic backgrounds? Who or what transcended their vast differences and united them as a family of believers who love one another and care for one another deeply? And finally, the man couldn't take it. And the weight of the evidence pushed him the other way. And this is what he said. He finally realized that Jesus was real. He was the son of God. He did die for the sins of the world. He was buried and rose again and he lives today to forgive and transform those who come to him in faith and place their trust in him as his savior and that's what he did and God saved his soul and changed his life. Come on somebody I came here today to tell you God is real and he is risen. You may say to me the pastor is he really alive? Is he really alive? Yeah. Well, just ask the seven people the last two weeks who have been born again in high praises and saved from their sins according to their own public profession. They will tell you, yep, he is alive. I'm not who I used to be. You don't believe he's alive? I wish you could have sat in my office this week when a young man, a young adult man, sat in my office who told me I was a meth addict. And if you know anything about meth, it is a horrible, horrible drug. And once it gets a hold of you, it is almost impossible to get free from it. But he said, Pastor, six months ago, we started coming to this church and we started trusting Jesus. And he said, I came down to the altar one Sunday six months ago. And he said, I prayed and said, Lord, will you set me free from meth? And he said that day he did it he said pastor I'm telling you for six months I've been clean and I looked at him I said you understand that doesn't just happen his wife said I keep trying to tell him that he said well I'm starting to figure it out I said doc God did something powerful in your life he'll tell you God is real why don't we get James Whittington in here, one of our senior adults who caught COVID and walked through the valley of the shadow of death. I remember James was going down, down, and up and down, and then one day the hospital staff called his family and said, you need to get over here. He's not gonna make it. And they called me and several people, and we started praying to that Jesus, saying, Jesus, touch him. Well, you know what Jesus did? Jesus touched him and brought him out. He went to rehab. This week he came home from rehab and went home, and God brought him out of the valley. James James Whittington will tell you he's alive. 
Stephanie Whitting, Stephanie Davenport, who is an African-American lady in our church, sits right over here, sent me an email. She said, Pastor, my brother doesn't know the Lord. She said he got COVID but came through it, and that was great. But then all of a sudden, after COVID, he got sick. He got pneumonia. They had to put him in the hospital. They had to put him in ICU. She said he flatlined. They had to shock him and bring him back. She said, but we started praying to Jesus and say, Lord, don't let him die in his sins. We need you to save him, God. Please bring him out. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, God touched her brother. He started miraculously coming out. He left the hospital just a few days ago and walked out and he's no longer, he's healed and no longer in the hospital. And Stephanie was shouting in the first service this morning right over there because she'll tell you Jesus is alive. I'm yelling because I'm excited. Jesus is alive. Come on, somebody stand to your feet in this place and clap your hands and give God praise and glory in this house. Hallelujah. Woo! He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. The tomb is empty. He's alive. My heart is filled with him. He's alive. I don't have to have empirical evidence. But I can see his hand at work today. When I get testimonies like this and look what the Lord has done. <laughs> Jesus said to Thomas, because you have seen me, you believe. But he said, oh, how happy the people are going to be that do not see me and will still believe. And I'm so glad that's in the Bible because that's Jesus' way of saying you don't have to have empirical evidence. You don't have to see him to believe him. You could have an encounter with him today. As a matter of fact, you've already had an encounter with him already because I know he's here. I talked to one young man. I don't know. He looked like he was maybe early 20s. Been coming here just a short while. Family members brought him. He didn't even know the vocabulary. He couldn't even get the words out. But he was fighting back tears after church, standing in the foyer. And all he could say was, Pastor, what you said is true. Thank you. I needed that. Thank you. What you said was true. What you said. And, and he, just, he didn't even know what to say. And I said a few things to him, and he, he, he didn't know what to say. It's kind of thing when we men, you know, what? I'm, I'm about to get embarrassed because I'm trying not to cry, but... But I knew what he was saying. He had met Jesus this morning at High Praises Church in the nine o'clock service. He met Jesus. Man, I'd have seen him, man, I'd have touched him. But he met Jesus, and Jesus was doing something in his heart. And I don't know what. He couldn't get it out. I don't know whether he got saved or God's working on him. But my point is today, what he did for him, what he did for these others, you know what? He'll do for you. And so I want to do something this morning. I want to ask everybody in this place to bow their head and close their eyes. And if you are in this house and you say, Pastor Chris, I am not saved. I'm a sinner. I'm not right with God. I came here to visit today. I'm local. I came with my family. It's only Sunday I'm going to be here. We're driving back to wherever. But I need to get right with the Lord. This, this message today was for me. We're going to pray a prayer called the sinner's prayer. I do this often, and we're, everybody's going to pray it. 
And if you're backslidden, you used to serve the Lord and you got away from the Lord. Now listen to me. You can pray this prayer too. You need to come home like the prodigal now. Listen, you need to come home. Say, God, I'm sorry for living like I did and leaving you. Forgive me. But you pray this prayer. You repeat the words, but you mean it. I had a man, I, I did his funeral last year. He came here, he was backslidden, got away from God. And one Sunday we repeated the sinner's prayer and he said the first half of it, he was just sort of doing it. And he said when he hit about halfway, it hit him what he was saying. And he said he meant it the rest of the way and God saved him and restored him that Sunday. He didn't tell his wife till two or three, two or three days later. And he finally told her and Elaine said, well Dwight, why didn't you tell me Sunday? He said, I wanted to make sure it took. That's what he said. I want to make sure it took. I'm here to tell you, it'll take. Because he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're confessed with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's what the Bible says. So you pray this prayer with faith and trust God and God will wash your sins away. Everybody pray this out. Everybody, dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm so sorry. I've disappointed you. I've failed you. I've been a rebel, but no longer. I believe that you died and you rose again. You are the one who can wash my sins away. Please wash my sins away. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Change me. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my leader, as my Savior. I repent of my sins. I'm not going back to them anymore. I'm going to start living right by the power of the Holy Ghost. So thank you for saving me. Come on, y'all say it. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for changing my life. Thank you for coming into my heart. Now I like to do this. Say, I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved. And I know that I am. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's let's do something in faith and clap our hands and celebrate because I just got a feeling somebody, I, I, don't, I, I know maybe we'll find out later, but I'm just going to let's celebrate. I believe somebody gave their life to Jesus. We're going to believe it. We'll find out later. Hallelujah. What do you need Jesus to do for you? What do you need him to do for you? Are you sick? Are you hurting? Are you in a marital struggle? Are your kids gone wild? Are you in a, are you, are you, is your business struggling? Are you unemployed? What, what's, are you spiritually struggling? What's going on in your life right now? He is here. And I just want you to do this. I know we started this service this way. I want to end this service this way. They're about to sing. If you say, Pastor, I have a need in my life. I need that living Jesus to touch me. I just want to ask you to raise one hand or both hands and start praying right now and just say, Jesus, in this service, in this context, well, I've heard the word, you're alive and well, and you mean it. God, would you work in my family, work in my marriage, work in my job? Come on, all over this house, just start praying. We're going to believe you're going to get your testimony. You're going to get your miracle. Come on, sing. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.